is Joseph Koch, and my family is um, Matthew Koch, Ashley Koch, Andrew, and Caroline Koch. Our scriptures are 35 through 44. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teachings, he said, Beware of these scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and have in the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they have all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your word. Lord, in the same way that you said the Holy Spirit was speaking through David, you know your spirit speaks through the scriptures. We want to hear from you. Just want to see the way you see. We want to really connect with your heart. So we pray for just a spirit of Humility to take over, a spirit of submission, a spirit of faith. For you to be honored and glorified through the proclamation of your word. Helps to be more like Jesus as a result. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Great job, Joseph. Appreciate you, buddy. And good morning, church. It's so good to be with you. Uh, if you would, grab a Bible. Let's find that passage, and we'll continue our study through the Gospel of Mark. Again, that's Mark 12, 35 to 44. Now, uh, as we've been studying through the Gospel of Mark this year, maybe you noticed that Mark's Gospel doesn't have quite as much of the teachings of Jesus as the other Gospels do. But here in our passage this morning, we have some of his teaching. And one of the ways that I like to think about the teachings of Jesus is I like to think of it as this way for us to see with the eyes of God. Like we get a a glimpse into the perspective of God. And that's really what we have here through this teaching of Jesus 
Jesus was showing three things in particular. First, he was showing how God sees the nature of Christ. Then he was showing how God sees the character of the scribes. And then how God saw the giving of one particular widow. And so we're going to see what, what God was seeing today. Uh, now, honestly, th- there's a, a level of weight and seriousness to this passage, but there are times when uh, the truth about these things need to be said. And so let's, let's see what Jesus had to say. Uh, remember what's going on. Remember the context. Jesus had gone into Jerusalem. He's in the temple here. This was a few days before his crucifixion, and he knew that. Uh, the crowds at this point still were loving Jesus, but the religious leaders were very much against him. They hated him. They were trying to uh, oppose him and trap him. And so they go to him with these series of questions, series of controversial questions. But with each answer, Jesus was amazing everybody because as he answered, he not only was avoiding their trap, he also was uh, turning their interrogation back on them. It's like they were trying to throw grenades at him and he would just catch it and toss it right back and it would blow up in their face. And so this series of questions even ends with one of the scribes publicly agreeing with Jesus. And so things were not going how the, the religious leaders were planning. And so that's why it says in verse 34, it says, after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. I mean, it wouldn't go in their way. It wasn't going how they wanted. It was all backfiring on them. And so as we pick up in verse 35, we can see here that now it was Jesus that had a question for them. And so in this first part, we could call it the greater son in verses 35 to 37. Look there with me. It says, and as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? So if you think about this, it might sound like a bit of an odd transition, right? I mean, Jesus had a, a conversation with the scribe just now, and so we see that connection, but they were talking about commandments. They weren't talking about David, and so how does it go from that to this question like this? Well, if you read in Matthew's parallel account, then it makes sense, right? And so look there. It should be on the screen for us. Matthew 22, 41 to 42. It says, now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. And so this question preceded the one he just asked, saying, what do you think about the Christ? He asked the Pharisees, that that included the scribes there, what do you think about the Christ? And so he's asking, what do you think about, the word Christ means the anointed one, the one, the deliverer of Israel who was promised to come, prophesied about in the Old Testament, What do you think about the Christ? This was who everybody in Israel had been uh, eagerly anticipating. This is who Jesus was claiming to be. And this is who the crowds were proclaiming Jesus to be. But it's important to know that this is who the scribes and the Pharisees were denying Jesus to be. And so when Jesus asked him this question, he's not asking for information. He's not asking out of curiosity, what would be your your answer? No, he, he knew what the answer was. What he's doing here is he's setting up his teaching. And so he's asking him, okay, what do you think about the Christ? Specifically, whose son is he? Whose son is he? And then they answered, well, the son of David. 
That's King David. That's Israel's best and most beloved king. And so when they say son of David, it doesn't mean like his literal son, like Solomon. It's saying like a descendant of David. That's what the scribes were teaching. That's what everybody believed, that the Christ would be the son, the descendant of David. Now, were they right? Well, technically, yes. They were partly right, and the Old Testament makes that clear. If you read in 2 Samuel 7, Psalm 89, it's clear there. He would be a descendant of David. So it's not that their answer was wrong, it's just that their answer was incomplete. And so when Jesus now, he asks them that, sets up the question. Now when he, he brings it out to the crowd in Mark 12, 35, then he says, okay, how can the scribes, how can your experts and teachers of the law, like those guys, how can they say, like they just said, that Christ is the son of David? And so I'm sure the people were thinking, like, because it's in the scriptures, or they're thinking like, okay, I mean, is Jesus challenging the experts? Is Jesus maybe about to refute the scriptures? What is Jesus about to do? And so you can see here that now they're engaged. Now Jesus has set it up. Now they're locked in. And so he says, how can the scribes say that when, verse 36, when David himself declared? Wait, no, there's more than that, isn't there? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared. And so this is David uh, speaking, but it's the Holy Spirit that inspired it, meaning he's about to quote Scripture. David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. He says, The Lord said to my Lord, I, that's a little confusing, isn't it? The Lord said to my Lord. Like, if we were in Hebrew, it would be less confusing because there's different words there. But we actually don't need that because thankfully Jesus clarified. Look at 37. David himself calls him Lord. Calls who Lord? Well, he's talking about the Christ. David himself calls the Christ Lord. And so then he goes, all right, here's the riddle, right? Here's the question. So how is he his son. You know, fathers, they didn't have this habit of calling their children their Lord, right? And so he's saying, this doesn't line up. And so is he suggesting that the Christ wasn't David's son? Well, no, that would be to refute scripture. Jesus wouldn't do that. Jesus is quoting scripture here. And so this is what Jesus is asking. This is what we can't miss. He's asking, how can the scribes say that the Christ is merely the descendant of David, when David prophetically called him Lord, how can the scribes justify their denial that Christ is both the son of David and the son of God? He's both. He's human and divine. That's what Jesus is saying. And so then it says, the great throng heard him gladly. Now, we don't know exactly what this meant. We don't know if they understood fully what Jesus was saying or if they were just kind of impressed with his teaching or, oh, he kind of stumped the experts. We don't really know. But Jesus would capitalize on their engagement in the moment, and he would continue to warn them about the scribes, and we'll see that in a second. But it's really important for us to consider here that this question is more than just kind of a moment of revelation about this topic. There was an implication behind this. And I don't think it was lost on the scribes. 
The implication was that Jesus was talking about himself and the scribes were wrong about him. You think throughout his ministry, we've been seeing this in Mark, the scribes had continually gone after Jesus, continually opposed him. They, they, they said he was, he was blaspheming. They said he was working his miracles because he was empowered by Satan himself. They were constantly seeking to kill him because he made that claim. That was the issue they had. He made that claim that he was the Christ. And as the Christ, he was the Son of God. But this was a claim that Jesus is showing him. Wasn't something he made up. This was in the word of God. But it seems like these scribes, they don't really care about what God thinks. And Jesus explains that to the people. And so this is how the teaching continued. It goes from correction to warning. We could call this section the greater condemnation. Verses 38 to 40. It says, and in his teaching he said, beware of the scribes. And so you know how people today, you know, they're real brave behind a keyboard, you know. Like they'll say all kinds of stuff to you. They're real brave, but then face to face, it's a whole different story. Well, not not with Jesus. You got to remember that when he's saying this stuff, they're right there. The scribes are right there. He's probably pointing at them and going, hey, beware of the scribes. Like those guys right there. Beware of them. And when he said that, that probably shocked everybody because these were people that they respected. These were people that they had high esteem for. And so now those guys, he's saying, yeah, watch out for them. Uh, In their tradition, they believe this, that Moses received the law, then gave it to Joshua. Joshua gave it to the prophets, and they gave it to the scribes. And so Jesus is saying, you got to watch out for those guys. You got to be wary of those guys. Don't follow those guys. Well, why? He says, these are the guys that like to walk around in long robes. Uh, now, it would be kind of weird if you walk around in long robes all the time, but it's a different deal for them. These are these long, bright white robes with these big oversized tassels, and the whole goal of this was to stand out. The whole goal of this that was to distinguish themselves. They would impress the people with the way that they were dressing. He says, they also like greetings in the marketplaces. So it's usually pretty customary as a scribe would walk by, the, the people out of respect would stand as they walked by. And they had certain titles for them, like rabbi or like father, they would often be called. And he says they, they really like this. It's not that they're just receiving this respect. They like it. They like it a little too much. 39, it says they have the best seats in the synagogue. That means they're sitting on a platform in the synagogues, like in front of where the, the scriptures were. They're sitting there facing the crowds. Like, I don't want to be like one of the people sitting among you. No, I want to sit on stage. I want you to look at me with the scriptures behind me because I'm that important. And he says, these are also the guys who like these places of honor at feasts. That's like at the right hand of the person that's hosting it. That's a, it's a place of privilege. He says, they like that place too. And so what's all this mean? Well, to the people at the time, these, these scribes, they were like the models of devotion to God, but Jesus is going, it's all a facade. It's, it's all fake. And if you read in Matthew's gospel, Jesus will give you the full version of what he thinks. I mean, he just goes after him. You hypocrites, you hypocrites. You're these whitewashed tombs. You're like dead on the inside, right? You're a broad of vipers. He goes after him. But here he really just kind of focuses on, Mark highlights 
two things that prove their hypocrisy. Look, he says in verse 40, these are those who devour widows' houses. And it seems like they're so devoted to God, but they're devouring widows' houses. Now, it's kind of hard to know what that means. There's some speculation there. And so it could be that these uh, scribes were taking payment from widows whenever, according to the law, they weren't supposed to take payment for legal advice and things like that. It could be that they, you know, they kind of took this role of helping to manage their estate and they were mismanaging it. It could have been a, a situation where uh, they were or charging them to, uh, to pray for them. And it, it could have been where they were uh, using these widows' houses as kind of a, an opportunity to pay for debt that, that these scribes knew that they could never repay. And so in one way or another, they are devouring these widows' houses. And, uh, and, and, and we know this, right? Like, we've got kind of a, a, an example of that today. There are people still doing this. I mean, there are, there are pastors, even local churches doing this. You would kind of have that uh, idea of, you know, the televangelists, like these guys just getting crazy rich because they're telling you, send me money and, and uh, you know, you'll be blessed uh, it kind of reminded me of uh, this one instance. Uh, it was back in college, and I was uh, living uh, with a roommate, a friend of mine. His name was Travis, and uh, we just loved messing with each other. And uh, everywhere we went, like we went to the store, and there was some kind of thing to sign up for, you know, you give me your email address and all that stuff. Well, I would just always give him Travis's, and so he would just, like, get all this junk email and all this stuff. Like, it was just, it, it was a mess. Well, one, one night, uh, on TV, it was late one night, and there's some infomercial on or whatever, and who comes on is Pastor Action Jackson. And he's making all kind of guarantees. Man, if you send him money, then he's gonna, you're going to be blessed. And there's testimonials, right? And there was not, no lie. There was one where this lady said that she gave him money. Then she went to the casino, man, and she hit the jackpot, right? And so I'm like, not quite sure about that. So he said, just send me money. It's like this, uh, this test of faith for you, right? Sow that seed. You're going to be blessed, all this stuff. And, uh, and so they also promised, you know, like, um, you know, you didn't even have to give money. They, they would just give you this gift if you called. And uh, that gift was uh, this vial of anointing oil, which on the commercial was this, like, beautiful glass vase-looking thing. And then this prayer rug. Like, you'd kneel on it and pray, and then I'm sure that would encourage you to give more money. I'm not sure. But. And so I called, and I gave them Travis's information. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and so uh, some time went by, and it a week or so, and I'd kind of forgotten, and all of a sudden showed up. And so there it was, the vial of oil and the prayer mat. But what actually came was this little ketchup packet-looking thing of some oil inside and uh, literally a sheet of paper, like copy paper, where they made a copy of what kind of looked like a rug. And it, it made me laugh so much because they called him for months and months after that. Uh, it, I loved it. And so the <laughs> their promise was, man, you should send this guy some money. And, uh, and you'll, be, you'll be blessed. You'll get money back. Well, who does that, that, that tend to, to appeal to? Those who are vulnerable, like widows. And so that's who they're profiting off of, right? They're these snakes, right? They're profiting off of people like that, the vulnerable. And Jesus goes, yeah, that, that's these scribes. They look so great, man. They look nice. They, you know, they, they got, you know, they're smooth talkers. Yep. 
and they're devouring widows' houses. And then, for a pretense, they make long prayers. He goes, they're pretending to pray. They're not talking to God. He's like, trust me, they're not talking to God. They're saying a lot of words, but they're not talking to God as they're, as they're abusing these poor widows. And so he goes, look, you see them as experts. You see them as honorable. You see them as compassionate and sincere. But what does God see? He saw false teachers. He saw arrogance. He saw people mistreating the vulnerable. And he saw hypocrites. And those are four things God hates. Hates. Those are four things God hates. And so they're receiving all this attention, respect, honor from people. But what would they receive from God? He says, they'll receive the greater condemnation. Maybe not in this life. It might look good in this life. I saw some video recently. There was one of these guys, and, man, he said he literally had the the biggest house in Louisiana. One of these guys. He goes, maybe now, maybe not now. Life's good for them now, but they'll receive the greater condemnation. You know, Scripture teaches that teachers, like the scribes, they're going to be held to a higher standard, which, you know, kind of puts me in check week after week. But we also need to see here, kind of we talked about last week, those weightier matters of the law, the things that, that God really cares about, that's what's going on here. And so God's got a heart for the vulnerable. He's got a heart for them, cares about them. It's built into the law. Jesus talked about it all the time. He's got a heart for them, the widow and the orphan especially. He's got a heart for the widow. And if we ignore that, then we're just distancing ourselves from the heart of God. And so then from there, we see the third part. We could call this the greater contribution, 41 to 44. Mark kind of lets us in on one final teaching of Jesus that's going on in the temple. So this is kind of the, the last moment after that. He's going to leave the, leave the temple, and you know the process is going to continue toward the cross. And so here, Mark is a little more descriptive than he normally is. He, he's kind of setting the scene. And so visualize it in your mind. Jesus is moving from the court of the Gentiles to the court of women because that's where the temple treasury was because that's where everybody could go. And this is Passover week. And so again, we're talking like, like not, not just thousands of people. It like could have been in the millions of people that are going through Jerusalem. And so you just picture one person after another and after another. And so there was this place where they could give offerings. There were these 13 kind of trumpet-shaped receptacles made of metal that people often point out as they're throwing in their coins. It's making money. And, the, you know, the, kind of the bigger the coin and the, the more money there was, the different sound it made. And, and so here, that, that's the scene that he's setting. And so verse 41, it says, And he sat down, Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. And so he's just sitting back and he's noticing, he's watching. And he says, many rich people put in large sums. That's fine, nothing wrong with that. Verse 42, a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And so he's talking about like the smallest of Jewish currency. Like it'd be, I don't know, the equivalent today, just kind of, you know, this, this woman's last dollar, maybe. And so verse 43, and he called his disciples to him and said to them, notice, he goes from, with the scribes, I want you to beware. And with this widow, he says, I want you to behold. He says, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all who are contributing to the offering box. 
for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. You know, last week, Justin kind of made a joke about how a lot of people are kind of hesitant to, to you know, attend church services because, you know, you think a lot, you're just going to ask for your money, and we've got this tendency to always forget to even just tell you how to give in general. And so, um, and so here's this passage that I would say is often used to manipulate people to give more. Uh, that is not what's going on here. I, I just, you know, like if I wanted to, I guess I could take the opportunity, have a little spike in the offering. I could push this. Look how she gave everything. What do you get? I mean, we're not going to play that game, right? That's not what we want to do. That's not New Testament teaching. It's cheerful giver. God's given and be generous. He's generous to you. Be generous. If there are needs, provide for the needs. I mean, if there's ministry to be done, provide for that. Like, it's his money. Just use it according to how he calls you to give. And so we're not going to play that game. There's no manipulation that we need to do. That just doesn't seem to be what's going on here. I don't think Jesus is saying, oh, here's this principle. Here's this kind of directive for giving to the church. Like, everything, all of it. That didn't make any sense. It's not what we do. It's not what the New Testament teaches. And so I think it's often misused. I think it's hard to know what to do with this passage, honestly. And so I think, though, that there's a couple things we need to see. I think by Mark including this here, that it serves three purposes. First, I think it provided an example of the scribe's corruption. Again, it's Passover week. And there are tons of people going through and tons of money that's working through this temple. And here's this widow that Jesus sees, this widow who is in need and this widow who is overlooked. She's just given everything she had. Now she's got nothing left and nobody sees it. Nobody notices. Nobody's providing for her, but yet she's still giving. And so they're kind of getting this front row seat of what he's talking about. This fruitless religious system that these scribes and, and Pharisees and Sadducees had created, where it's all about them, is the front row seat, right? They're disregarding the commands of God. And so it's this example of what he's talking about. The scribes are corrupt. They're hypocritical. There it is right here. And so that's one thing we should see. Secondly, we should see that this presented a contrast to the scribe's character. And so, how do you describe the uh, describe scribes? It's hard to say. Uh, they were self-exalting, pretentious. They were using this whole system to their advantage. It's like this picture of false devotion. But then here's this widow, and it seems like she's got exalting. She seems sincere. She seems self-sacrificing. It's a picture of t- true devotion. And so, again, it's this. I go from beware of those guys, but behold this widow. And so even though I don't think it's like, here's what it looks like to financially give, I do think, though, that what she's doing is she's providing these these principles of how the kingdom works. These are principles not just for money, but how the kingdom works for all things. And so here's a few principles. That true devotion to God isn't measured by how much you give, but by how much you hold back. What did Jesus say? You want to come after me? What do you have to do? Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, give up everything. What do you tell that rich young ruler? I want you to go give all that you have to the poor and then come follow me. It's this willingness to everything is yours. I'll give it all up. That's a kingdom principle. It's not measured by how much we've given. You may have a ton, 
but it's probably measured by how much you're holding back. And Jesus, don't, don't hold anything from me. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. It's a kingdom principle. And then also, true devotion doesn't desire self-exaltation, but God glorification. And if you're truly devoted to God, you're just not worried about yourself. You're not worried about exalting yourself. That's kind of the idea of humility, isn't it? It's not that, oh, I'm going to debase myself. It's just, I'm just not worried about it. I don't need to be the center of attention. I want God to be the center of attention. I want God to be glorified. And this woman, she wasn't trying to show off. She wasn't trying to do it. She probably just wanted to be unnoticed because I'm sure they were looking down on her with this measly offering that they thought she was giving. And so we want to be God-glorifying. Also, true devotion isn't about putting on a show. It's about pursuing God. It's one thing I want to just say over and over and over until we finally get it because everything about us doesn't want to get this. We're not here to put on a show, right? I'm not doing this. It's not a performance for you to like or, you know, our Christian faith walk, what we're doing together. It's not a show. Like, we're not trying to pretend to be better than we are. That leads to some really unhealthy stuff. That leads to scribe-type stuff. That's what got them in that place. They thought they were more than they were. So what we want to be is just honest and vulnerable. We want to be transparent. Look, the common understanding is that we're all sinners and we needed a Savior, so why are we trying to walk around better than we are? Honestly, I was struggling last night. I guess I'll be real vulnerable. I was here at 3 a.m. struggling with this passage. It's like, what is going on here? What's with this widow? And I don't know if it was just like, ah, oh, this weight of, he's talking about the religious leaders like that. They're teachers of the law. It's like, ah, oh, greater condemnation. What's really being taught here? What's going on with this woman? It's like, I can't say anything that's not true. What's going on here? And so it's like, ah, oh, this like, just struggle, this tension. I, I got to know. And so we're not here to just pretend to be better than we are. That is not the idea. That is anti gospel. We got to let that mess die among the church, right? So we're to be honest, vulnerable, and realize Jesus is our Savior. We need him. And so we're not trying to put on a show. We're just trying to pursue God honestly, trying to pursue him, know him, love him, be in his kingdom, share the good news of Jesus honestly and vulnerably. And then also true devotion isn't dictated by our circumstances. It's dictated by God's worthiness. We definitely see that with this woman. She's still giving. She's in a difficult spot. Still giving, still devoted. Her circumstances didn't dictate it. And you know what? Like we often think about difficult circumstances, like, oh, we shouldn't let that dictate our, our faithfulness and our devotion. But usually it's good circumstances for us that dictate us not being devoted. Usually it's everything's great. I forgot about God. Shoot. That's usually our deal. And so we need to make sure, true devotion, no matter the circumstance, it's not about how good, bad way, it's about God's worthiness, and he's always worthy. And so I want to stay devoted. And so if you think about this, this woman in context of, of Mark 12, what has Jesus been saying? Render to God the things that are God's? She did that. He talked about the resurrection, kind of living in light that there is a resurrection and eternity to come. She's living in light of that. She's not thinking about just today, she's thinking, I'm devoted. God's going to provide. Even if not, you know, if it's a difficult life right now, my one to come is going to be amazing. And think about, he said, you, know, you love God with everything. And she gave her all. She gave her all. And what we need to see with all this 
is that it was valued by Jesus. He saw it, and it was valued. He said, look, you got to look at this. I mean, all this going on in the temple, I'm sure you think that's impressive. Now, what impresses me is that woman right there. That widow gave everything. And so then I think there's another purpose here that's ultimately going on. Is I think she points us to Jesus with a picture of the gospel. Think about this. Who was the one who was truly devoted? Who was the one who desired God's glory? Who was the one who pursued God all the time and in every way? Who was the one who remained devoted despite his circumstances, especially with the one he's in in this moment and what he's facing ahead? Who is the one who truly gave all to God, even his very life? Well, that was Jesus. And so she points us to him. She points us to the gospel. And so as we consider these teachings of Jesus, I want to offer a few points of application. First is to realize who Jesus is. He is the Messiah. It means he was truly human and truly divine. We've got to see this. This isn't like some secondary doctrine. This is primary. The the apostles, the the early church, that that was their thing. He is God. Everybody in the Gospels, they called him the the son of David. They kept calling him the son of David over and over. But what do we see in in the, the letters from the apostles? What do we see? Like, oh, Christ, the son of God. What's the first line of Gospel of Mark? Mark's going, this is the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is not some secondary thing. We need to see him as that. Secondly, resist what Jesus condemns. Hypocritical piety, exploiting the vulnerable. We need to see it for what it is. He says it's going to receive greater condemnation. Thirdly, Recognize what Jesus values. Humble devotion, self-sacrifice, and he sees it. He sees it. Every small act. If you think, I don't have much to offer. I don't know if this is worth anything. You don't compare to other people. You don't base it off of that. It's on a whole different scale. Jesus goes, I'm seeing something different. I see through different lenses. I see what's going on in the kingdom. And we look at that widow, he's like, she gave more than everybody. That measly little couple coins, she gave more than everybody. And so then fourthly, ultimately, respond to the gospel. That means receive Jesus as Savior, submit to Jesus as Lord, and worship Jesus as God, because he is God. And so a way for us to do that, a way for us to consider who he really is and what he's done for us, is through sharing the Lord's Supper together. And so we're going to do that now. Let me invite those uh, men who are prepared to pass out the elements to go ahead and come forward. And so while they're doing that, I want to invite us all to take a moment to reflect. Reflect on this passage. Consider your heart right now. That's what we're called to do, to not take this in an unworthy manner. Maybe for some of you, You need to take a moment and be reconciled to God or be reconciled to somebody else. And so that might look like you apologizing. That might look like you just come before God and confessing some things. It doesn't mean you get it all together and get perfect and all that stuff. No, it means just you go before him expressing your need for him, asking for forgiveness and trusting in Jesus as your savior. Maybe that needs to happen now. 
As we do this, we also want to remember Christ's sacrifice. Broken body, shed blood, and anticipate his return. Let's just take a moment. The element's going to be passed out. And we're just going to sit with it for a second. And so, like, this is what's good about it. It's tangible, right? We can hold it in our hands and look at it for a second. And think about Jesus. In this passage, he was just a couple days away from going to the cross. He knew everything that was going to happen, yet he still went forward for you to carry out the will of the Father. God sent his Son into the world so that whoever would believe wouldn't perish, wouldn't receive greater condemnation, but could receive eternal life. And so even if today you kind of like identify with these scribes the most, then you can realize, oh man, Jesus took that greater condemnation. I don't have to. I can confess my sin. I can go before him. I can receive his forgiveness in life. I can be reconciled to God. God can delight in me in the same way that he delights in his son. I would encourage you that if you don't believe in Jesus as the Christ, as the Son of God, then just allow the elements to pass you by. This is a moment for those who do believe. And so just observe, just take it in and consider. So let's have a few moments to reflect and pray. And uh, then we'll take the elements together.